Hello fellow Trekkies, welcome back to another episode of Yelling About Star Trek. My name is Christian Fox and this is the show where I yell at you about all things Star Trek for your amusement so I'm not yelling at my friends and family who don't want to hear my thoughts and theories on this fantastic franchise. Today, I want to do one of my favorite things and make an analogy that is hopefully confelling. And of course that analogy is about food and Star Trek. Essentially, what I want to say here today is that Star Trek, the next generation, is the McDonald's of the Star Trek universe, and I love it. Now, there's a couple of things I want to say before we get into this argument. One, I'm only talking about original series and the Rick Berman era Trek. So that's TNG all the way to Enterprise. I'm not going to be talking about new Trek simply because I don't know it as well and can't really rattle off information or make a compelling analysis about that. The other thing I want to say about all of this is that it sounds like it's an insult to TNG by comparing it to McDonald's because McDonald's, you know, is McDonald's. But to me, it's not an insult because I love McDonald's. McDonald's is probably my favorite thing to eat, and I would eat it every day if it was socially acceptable and wouldn't destroy my body. So I love it. In fact, I love it so much that if I found out tomorrow that I was going to die and I only had one day to live, you can rest assured that my last meal would be McDonald's. In fact, it would be a quarter pounder with cheese, medium fries, Diet Coke, no ice, and a McDouble. And actually, maybe it would be two McDoubles because I love that and it is amazing. So when I make this comparison to TNG and McDonald's, I don't mean anything disrespectful by it because I love McDonald's, and I love TNG so, so much. But before I get into why I think this crazy idea, make sure you get out of your space pajamas, put on your shiny spare boots, get a cup of coffee, get a cup of tea, maybe some iced tea. If you want to pull the Archer Maneuver, embrace for impact, because things are about to get nerdy. As I said at the top of this episode, it's my opinion that Star Trek The Next Generation is the McDonald's of the Star Trek universe. So I want to explain why I think that, why it makes sense to me, and why that's not an insult, and also to maybe find some other comparisons with the other series and see what junk food they might be. But the main comparison I want to focus on is McDonald's and TNG, and perhaps something like Domino's, or maybe something a little bit higher class than Domino's, but a pizza place, and use that when talking about DS9, because I think that is the best way this comparison will work. And obviously, there are other shows out there. There's things like Voyager, there's Enterprise, there's Original Series. So Original Series is harder to place, but I would say Original Series, Voyager, and maybe Season 1 and 2 of Enterprise are Wendy's. So Wendy's, I think, is on the same level as McDonald's, but not quite as enjoyable for me, although Wendy's is such a good restaurant, and I love Wendy's. So here's why I think TNG specifically is McDonald's. When I look at McDonald's, the food, I think of a meal that is so satisfying, incredibly well-made. Well, maybe not incredibly well-made. <laughs> One could debate that, but it's a satisfying meal that I enjoy and just never get tired of. 
But it's not the most filling and it's not the most sophisticated meal to ever exist. It's not something that a seasoned chef will probably enjoy. McDonald's is not Michelin star worthy. It's not the most sophisticated food you could get. Not the most grown up adult. It's not really a culinary experience. It's just really good food. And that's how I feel about TNG. And I'm not saying that TNG doesn't have really strong, sophisticated elements to it, which it does. It has things like data exploring humanity. It has questions about ethics and morality. It has questions about diversity and acceptance. It has a lot of great themes, but TNG doesn't always get to go super deep on them just because of the nature of the show, being that it's a syndicated episodic show, meaning that in any given episode, you can have a problem, they explore the problem, then they solve the problem by the end of the episode, and by the next episode, everything that happened previously doesn't really impact the characters. Yes, there are exceptions to that where something in season seven might refer back to something that happened in season three, but generally speaking, it doesn't really do that, and you can watch those by themselves, self-contained in any order, and even non-fans can pick up the show, watch an episode, and be like, oh, that was interesting. Maybe we'll go check out the next episode. Maybe I won't. But I was still able to get the experience and enjoyment out of the episode that I saw because it was really self-contained and did a good job of explaining what everything is and didn't require me to go back and watch all the previous seasons to understand what the heck was going on. So I think that is a really strong aspect of TNG, but especially when comparing it to DS9, it doesn't get as deep as one might hope, depending on what you're in the mood for. So I love TNG. It is my go-to Star Trek. When somebody says Star Trek, that is the series that pops into my mind. Usually, I would say it's probably Picard, Data, and Riker that pop into my mind when I hear the word Star Trek. That is always my go-to, and I love it for it. And one of the things I, I love about the series is the nature of it being episodic. The fact that everything works out. It's what I would consider to be happy-go-lucky. It's a show where I'm like, I'm feeling down, things are hard, let me watch it. And I can feel good because, you know... Even if the episode starts off with the Enterprise blowing up, you know that in 45 minutes, they're going to solve the problem. They're going to figure out why that was going on, and they're going to sail off into space, exploring new space by the time the show ends, and everybody's going to be happy. And you are pretty sure that no one's going to feel too bad about it next week because, well, they're probably either not going to remember because of time shenanigans or just because, well, the show doesn't really necessarily allow for characters to feel traumatized and to deal with the trauma, which again, there are a lot of times where I think that is really, really strong. So going back to McDonald's, that's what I think of McDonald's. It's a good meal. I enjoy it. I love it. It's not incredibly deep. It's not, again, it's not a sophisticated meal that you know, maybe is on the same level of a really high-class restaurant or on the same level of a Michelin chef or on the same level of someone who is just a really darn good cook and knows the way around the kitchen. It's not going to be that. It's going to be junk food and reliable junk food, meaning that wherever I go in the in the world, whatever country I'm in, no matter the situation, I can walk into a McDonald's and have a reliable quarter pounder with cheese, medium fries, and two McDoubles if I'm feeling awesome. Now, when I was in Paris a number of years ago, I did 
go to McDonald's, which is probably not a great thing to do because you're in Paris. I mean, why would you go to McDonald's? But but you know, my mom and I were kind of like, ah, we we've had Parisian food. We we've we've tried to be responsible adults and and eat good quality Parisian food to get the experience, and we liked it. But we were just like, we want some McDonald's, and it was great. Everything tasted the same as I would expect, except for the ketchup. The ketchup was a little bit off there, and I think it's just because their tomatoes are different. Remember the tomatoes in Rome being especially different? So I think that might have been the same situation going on with the ketchup, but it's ever-reliable. And that's why I love TNG, because it's just so reliable for me. No matter what mood I'm in, no matter what situation I'm in, no matter where I am, it's always helpful and it's always enjoyable because I just feel so content and so calm watching TNG. I said in my last episode that Data doing Technobabble puts me at ease and can just put me to sleep. And so much of that show can do that for me. Any dialogue. Dr. Crusher talking to a patient and saying, maybe you're just stressed out. Maybe you're just, you know, you're, you're under the weather, not that you're being abducted by aliens or that you're actually being tortured right now and this is all happening in your mind. No, you're just stressed out. Or her trying to explain some weird sci-fi medical condition to a patient or to the rest of the crew or hearing Picard go on about ethics and morality and what it means to be Starfleet. Majority delivering Technobabble and talking about the engines. Riker talking to Troy and trying to process his own feelings about her and being a captain and not wanting to get promoted. All of that dialogue for me is just so comforting and puts me in a spot where I just feel good about everything. The same way I feel when I eat McDonald's. I just feel better. I feel happier. And that is a beautiful thing. But it does have its limits because while I like McDonald's, I could not live off McDonald's. And it's not always the most filling food ever. I find when I get McDonald's, I will enjoy it, feel so good for a while, and then I'll just be hungry again. And I'll either want to do it again or I'll want to get something else. And the reason I'm making this whole comparison, I should say, is because I just had McDonald's last week, and I honestly hadn't had McDonald's since my mom passed away, so it was just nice to taste that food again. And it was dangerous, because I'm like, oof, now I know the taste, now I want to get McDonald's every day this week, which I did not do, because I am a responsible adult, so I'm not just going to do that. So it hits the spot, but it doesn't always fill me up. And TNG, while I love it, and as I just went on about how comforting it is to me, I don't always feel 100% satisfied when I watch it because there's sometimes where I'm like, I would like to get a little bit more information about this character or that character, or I wish I could have seen more about how this character was feeling after this event. An episode that is one of the best episodes of all time that fans love and that is just really popular as a whole is The Inner Light. And that's the episode where Captain Picard gets scanned by a probe and is knocked out for about 12 minutes. And in that 12-minute period of time, he lives an entire life. He, he finds himself on this planet, realizes he's somebody else, and basically lives to be an old man. And he has kids and grandkids. He's married. He's happy. He helps the town out. And it's a really sweet episode because it's an exploration of what is Captain Picard without being the captain. And it's very touching because he falls in love. He has kids. He has grandkids, as I mentioned. And that's all fantastic. And then life on the planet ends because of some stuff going on. 
And then Picard wakes up and he's back on the bridge and he finds out from Dr. Crusher that only 12 minutes have passed. He's told that, oh, your, your, that whole life you lived was just, was just, it was the people's way of trying to protect their legacy, I guess, maybe the memory of the, of the people. And that's how they're trying to preserve it by giving that experience to other people that came across the probe, which is a really cool idea. But he's told that, yeah, yep, that whole thing that happened that was just in your head, it wasn't real. And he's a bit devastated. He talks to Counselor Troy for a little bit. They have a conversation and episode ends next week. He's back. Everything is fine. They never mention it again. And that to me is such a huge missed opportunity. The man just lived an entire lifetime that wasn't real. Like, could you imagine if you woke up and someone was like, oh, you know, your whole life that you had been living, that was a fake. That wasn't real. And this is your real life. And you're like, oh, I remember this real life. But how would you process that? How would you feel in that situation? How would you ever get over the fact that all these people that you met and the person you fell in love with and your kids and your grandkids were just a year in your imagination? They were just part of some alien program. That would be devastating. I don't know how long that would take you to get over because, well, it's science fiction, but that's wild. That is a horrifying experience. And sure, they do reference it. I Later in the series, uh, the episode Lessons, I believe that's a season six episode, when Picard falls in love with an officer on the ship, he brings out the flute and starts playing it. And that's the first time we've seen the flute in a long time since Inner Light. And it's touching because you can tell he's reconnecting with it. But but that's it. There's no mention to it. There's no mention of the horror that he experienced of, of finding out that your whole life was fake. There's no trauma or explanation of the trauma, which I think is really frustrating when you know in real life that would happen. So that's my quarter pounder with cheese, my McDoubles and my fries, feeling good in the moment but not satisfying me down the road because I'm like, ah, I'm still really hungry. I want more. I need something else to eat. So that that is frustrating when I think about TNG. And then that's even more frustrating when I compare it to something like DS9, which I would make the argument is the best series of the franchise. I love it because it has the great qualities of TNG. It has the episodic elements where, you know, you don't necessarily need to watch every episode to understand what's going on, especially if you are looking at, you know, the first few seasons, maybe season one to, I guess, season four is when it started to become more serialized. So I love DS9 for that aspect. And it has all the great Star Trek conversations about ethics and morality. It has great technobabble. But the thing that DS9 has that TNG doesn't is the serialization and that's when you get episodes that connect to one another. When you have something that starts off in episode two, but doesn't get resolved immediately, maybe carries out for a few episodes, or maybe is referred to later in the series, or in some cases, like season six, which I think is the best season of the series, especially because of the way it opens when it starts off with Kira and Odo and Jake and Nog stuck on DS9 during the Dominion occupation. And those characters are put into a really interesting position where even though they are working with the enemy, they have to basically support the enemy because they know that if they don't, Bejor will not be kept out of the fighting, which Cisco has said is critical 
So Kira knows this and trusts Cisco. It's like, well, if Cisco says it, I have to do it. And so she understands that. But it's so difficult for them because they're having to hang out with Galdicott and with Damar and with all the other Cardassians and all the other Jem'Hadar. And it's just so well done. And it's great because it's not just like a one-time thing where it starts off with that. It's not just a one-time thing where season five ends with the Dominion taking over the station, Kira and the rest of the gang being put in that situation, and then the station being immediately recaptured by the Federation in the season six premiere. It doesn't happen. It actually lasts for a number of episodes where characters really have to grapple with that. And we, as the audience, get to see these characters grapple with these decisions. Kira has to grapple with not being a freedom fighter, even though that's what she has done for so long. And she has to collaborate with the enemy. We get to see the toll it takes on her. We get to see the subtle manipulation of Odo by Wei-Yu and the female changeling. We get to see how Jake is contributing to their effort of eventually getting rid of the Cardassians. You get to see the toll it's taking on Cisco. The fact that, one, he's lost his station. He can't go back to it. Two, he doesn't know how his son is doing because his son decided to stay on the station. And you get to see the other characters who are like, what do we do? I mean, we can keep fighting, but we want to get back to the station. You also get to see the toll it takes of them being stuck on the on the Defiant, which is not a luxury ship. You know, they're not on the Enterprise where they can just go to the random holodecks, go to the go to ten four. They can go just hang out, go to the Arboretum for for a few hours. No, they're stuck on a warship that is super small, very cramped, and looks generally uncomfortable. Which I can't imagine how Cisco and the rest of the crew would do if they were the ones that were. You know, sent to the Delta Quadrant by the caretaker in the Defiant instead of Voyager, where Voyager at least looks a little more luxury than than uh, than the than the Defiant. But yeah, so that's a tangent. But yeah, they're they're stuck in this situation and it's taking a toll on them. So you get this fantastic season arc of of that experience and what the war is doing to them and the toll that's taking. Well, I love TNG, and while I think it is the McDonald's, and I love McDonald's, and I could eat that all the time, it's not always the most satisfying of the food. And that's why I would say DS9 is maybe more on the level of a Domino's, probably something even bigger. I've just been trying to think of a good comparison of a good restaurant where I'm like, that's always reliable. It has to be a pizza place, because I think pizza has the appearance of junk food, which I think DS9 does have the appearance of junk food. I don't know that non-Trekkies will say that DS9 is a sophisticated show, but pizza has so much potential. You can do so many things with it. You can have pizza in almost all levels. It can be the fast food, pizza, pizza, Domino's. And if you're not from Canada, pizza, pizza is basically the number one pizza place that everyone goes to. It's our big pizza chain. It's kind of a, a silly name when you think about it, pizza, pizza. Like, I don't know if I'd want to go to a burger, burger, but yeah, that's pizza, pizza. So you can have it at that level where it's just like, hey, you know, hockey team is is has just won a game. We need junk food. Let's get a pizza. You got you got your buddies over and you're watching a football game, which I've never done. <laughs> I'll be completely honest. But you get pizza because it's the junk food. But you can also have it at a nice Italian restaurant. You can go to Rome. You can go to Venice. And you can have fantastic pizzas, which I, I did. And I love their pizza there. But, but pizza is just so, how do I phrase it? I'm not even sure of the right term, but it just, it works on so many different levels and it can be varying quality. So you can get the, 
you can get the cardboard. You can get the, the junk food, but you can also get the super high-class Italian, really well-made, handmade pizza that is just Michelin star worthy. And I feel like you get that with DS9. Sure, it has the appearance of junk food, but it deals with some really complex themes. It deals with what does terrorism mean? How does terrorism relate to freedom fighting? What is the difference? Is a freedom fighter a terrorist? How do you grapple with someone like like Kira, who has committed unsequable acts of violence, but for a righteous cause? And not just righteous, but like, yeah, she had no choice. Like, Cardassians occupied Bajor. You get to deal with war. What does it mean to be in war? How do people that are typically peace-loving, how do they deal with war? How does the war change them? You get to deal with someone like Odo, who is a good guy, but he definitely has done some bad things and has to grapple with the fact that during the occupation, he was essentially a collaborator, even though I think Kira and the rest of the Bajorans don't feel like he was a collaborator and he didn't feel that way, but he worked for Galdicott, so he was a collaborator. How do you deal with that? Those are all questions and themes that DS9 is able to grapple with so well, at the same time, while still being able to provide the junk food of crazy quantum physics and solutions that just seem really quick and just stuff that you would consider junk food, nothing especially deep, so it has those elements. So this is my whole tangent, my long way of saying TNG is the McDonald's of the Star Trek universe. But again, I don't want that to be considered a bad thing because I think TNG has so many great qualities and it's just always going to be my go-to Star Trek series, much like McDonald's would be my go-to junk food and quite frankly, my go-to food if it was socially acceptable. And now after talking for a very long time, I think it's time we move into this week's edition of Wait, What Did You Say? And for this week, because I've been talking about TNG, I want to get some techno babble from TNG. And because I've been talking about McDonald's and how it's not especially deep, I want to pick some some dialogue, some techno babble from a scene that isn't especially deep, but it's just so good. And it's just it's just what you expect from TNG. Just cool characters being awesome at their job. And this dialogue comes from the episode Transfiguration. And that's the episode where There's this guy, this alien, John Doe, and he's evolving and no one knows what's going on. And everybody's like, who is this guy? What's he doing? What's going on? I don't know why I'm saying what's going on like that. That's what I do sometimes. But like, what's happening with his DNA? Why is he mutating? Can we trust him? Is he a bad guy? It's it's a really cool, ethical, conundrum-type episode. It's also a really good vehicle for for. Gates McFadden is Crusher, where she gets to be very involved with this patient. It doesn't cross any lines, but, you know, you can see it happening. So, very great episode. And in the scene that I want to talk about is when Data and Jordy are looking at this component from John Doe's escape pod to try to figure out where he came from. And they basically do all this crazy, science-y, technobabble stuff where they talk to the computer, then the computer is able to tell them where John Doe is from. So here it is. Data, I was thinking about the storage capsule last night, and I was wondering, what if we've been going about this the wrong way? We've been trying to analyze its mechanical properties. What if it is a biochemical storage medium? Are you suggesting that employees memory RNA like an organic cell? Well, it does contain quantities of nucleic acids. Perhaps the information sequences are encoded in the molecular patterns themselves. 
Computer, scan the storage capsule. Analyze molecular sequences and nucleic acid chains. Well, what do you know? A navigational chart. It appears that your hypothesis was correct, Jordy. I knew it. Captain, found something. We have determined that the storage cube from John Doe's escape pod contains navigational information. Can you match these stars to our charts? Computer, run transformational matrix calculations. Match navigational reference to known stars in the sector. Information on the sector is incomplete. No correlation. I'm not giving up yet. Not after coming so close to cracking this thing. You know, that might be the flight path information from John's ship. But without a frame of reference, I can't determine its origin points. Computer, assume those paths are course corrections and derive gravitational values for stellar objects near those flight paths. Most of these are ordinary G-type stars. This would appear to be a neutron star, possibly a pulsar. Which means that this might be a rotational time reference. Computer, assume these symbols are pulsars. Translate associated values into standard temporal notations. Computer, is there a pulsar rotational period of 1.5244 seconds within sensor range? Affirmative. Bingo! Now, computer, overlay navigational chart using reference pulsars and project a flight path back to its origin. Flight path originated at bearing 003 mark 015, distance 2.3 parsecs. That's it, Captain. That's where John Doe came from. Again, I love this dialogue because it's not especially deep, but it's an example of the Enterprise crew being awesome, and it's dialogue that I can listen to and fall asleep to. But what do you think? Do you agree with me that TNG is the McDonald's of the Star Trek universe, or do you think that honor goes to something else? Or do you even think that the comparison is silly and that you just wouldn't even want to compare it to food because it's silly? Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Also, let me know what you liked and what you didn't like about the show, because ultimately, I want to make a show that you enjoy listening to. And in the paraphrased words of Captain Kirk, I shall see you out there. That away.